Alright guys, coming at you with another quick one. I want to talk about the patience of God. I've heard many times when people speak concerning God or the actions of God in the Old Testament, how that God is this mean God, mean-spirited God, and killing people and things of that nature, or for example, in the drowning of all of those people in the flood showing you as people try to argue how God is somehow impatient, mean, and cruel, and that he destroyed all of those people in the flood. And again, in another scenario, when the children, the sons of Israel came out of Egypt and they were getting ready to occupy or overcome the promised land, how God told them to kill all those people in the promised land. And they try to show God as a mean, vicious, a cruel and uncaring God. But that's a problem with that. Have you ever taken the time to consider, number one, allow me to go to it from, from, from three different perspectives. So let me make three quick points. First of all, God does not change. And if God is patient in the New Testament, and if God is caring, and if God is long-suffering in the New Testament, he is the same God. For he said, I am the Lord God, I change not. So if God does not change, then guess what? He does not change. So God is also patient, loving, kind, and caring in the Old Testament as you see in the New Testament. But the problem is we don't think about it. We don't look at what the scriptures teach about it. So allow me to attack that particular concept just in case you ever hear it, how God is somehow mean and cruel and he is a monstrous killing God in the Old Testament. And then you get to the New Testament and, and this, this is what I've heard people say. I don't like the God of the Old Testament, but I like the God of the New Testament. No, he is the same. He has not changed. I'll allow me just to give you two quick points to let you see that where people try to attack God, where God actually was exceptionally patient, exceptionally kind. Let's deal with the issue of Noah. Oh, he killed all those people with the water. That's true, except for Noah and his family. All were judged. But did you know, from the moment that happened, we start counting from the time that they were, Adam and Eve, were expelled from the Garden of Eden all the way up to the point of Noah. And it was during that whole expanse of time that mankind, and that's when we get to Genesis chapter 6, mankind had corrupted himself completely. So what do we see? We see a period of almost two thousand years, two thousand years, God put up with the constant wickedness and evil of mankind. But now let me interject. Allow me to, I, I need to stop right now. Number one, we need to always be careful that the creature, that's us, don't ever try to bring the creator, that's God, into judgment. We don't judge God. God judges us. Be careful of that. That's why, that's why even Job in all of his righteousness, 
in all of his righteousness, he got his tail in trouble. Why? God says now, so you're going to bring me into judgment. You're going to cause me to stand before you, a creature, and give an account of so many things. I tell you what, if you think that you're qualified to make me give an account of my actions, let me ask you a few questions. And God begins to rattle off hundreds of questions. Where were you? Did you know? What did you know? How did I do this? And how did I do that? And when he got through with Job, Job went down on his face and said, the things that you have said to me are just too wonderful. And what did Job say? I repent in dust and in ashes. Why? Because Job knew he had gotten out of line. It's not for us to question God. It is for God to question us. He is the judge. He is the creator. And we are the creature. And it is through his grace, by his grace, that he allows himself and permits himself to be understood and, and, and question, but question in the right attitude by us that we may try to understand his way. That's number one. But let me go to another point too. God's sovereignty. If it's one thing that the scripture teaches is that God is sovereign over all that he has created for the simple principal reason he made everything. And, and it just simple as this. And it's, it's, it's something that I do sometimes as I try to give an example to other people. I take out my telephone. I say, do y'all know who this is? this is? This is mine. Now imagine, I paid for it, I bought it, or whatever. But the bottom line is, it is mine. And then I'll take my phone and throw it across the room. And then I'll say, and what does my phone have to say about anything that I just did? Nothing. Why? Because that's my phone and neither do you have anything to say about it. Why? Because it's my phone. The phone doesn't have anything to say about it and neither do you because it doesn't belong to you. Well, consider this. All of creation, all of creation, we belong to God. The things we have belong to God. Your children belong to God. They are the fruit of the womb as a blessing from God himself. <laughs> what am I trying to say? God is sovereign. Be careful when you start trying to judge God because as the creator of the earth, heaven and earth, all things, he can do just what he wants to do and you nor I have a right to question that. We all question because God permits us to. So let's always keep our hearts and our minds in the right perspective. But now let's go back to this thing about God being so hard and tough and impatient. When God destroyed the world with water, he had endured the wickedness of man. And notice God himself said, man is even from a child, he's wicked. All he does from day in and day out, all the day long, his thoughts are wicked continuously. And God said, it is time for judgment. And as the creator, he can judge. But the point, look at his patience. When God made that statement, we got 2,000 years of man's wickedness already been taking place. Now, how is God being so cruel? How is God being so impatient? Or is it just the opposite? He is very patient. And even when God made that decree, what did he say? Even as he got chose Noah, chose Noah at that particular time to save his family, what did God say? He said, I was still extend to mankind 
120 years. And what did the Bible say? And during this period, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Now, let me help you out because you probably never thought about it. So Noah went about for 120 years preaching the judgment of God is coming. Repent. And the only way, and if you believed, if you believed Noah's message, then as Noah was building on that boat, number one, you probably would have helped him build that boat. And number two, you would have got on the boat. You see? But 120 years, Noah preached, nobody listened. And here is the question. If you don't believe nobody listened to Noah's preaching of judgment and of God's righteousness, my question to you is this. Then who got on the boat? Only Noah, his wife, and his three sons, and their wife. They were the only somebody on the boat. Not because God was unwilling to save, but because they were unwilling to hear. Now, can you imagine how successful, and I hope it's some preachers listening to me now. I wanted to be some preachers listening to me. Your success of ministry is never based upon how people respond to you. Your success in ministry is always based upon whether or not you did what God told you to do. Because when we look at the ministry of Noah, whom the Bible says was a preacher of righteousness, how many people converted and got on the boat? None. He did not win a single individual and God in his righteous justice destroyed them all. Even not only after 2000 years, but an additional 120 years of preaching. And that, now who would think you would preach 120 years and not have a single convert? Was not, was God unrighteous? I don't think so. And then they said, here's the second one. And I'm going to wrap it up with this one because I wanted it to be a short one. They said, well, God sent the children of Israel into the land of Canaan to kill all of those people and blah, 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 and tweet, tweet, tweet. And he killed all the It's the same thing. It's the same thing because you got once again to trace the history all the way up to Abraham. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 18 when God and two angels were on their way to Sodom and Gomorrah. I got you, I got you, I got you. And even before then, even before the, do you know I can take you guys somewhere? I tell you what, I'm gonna take you somewhere. I'm cause, cause it bothers me for people to say such evil about God, how he's so hard and blah, blah, blah. And then you get to the New Testament, wrong on both counts. But let me take you somewhere. Noah, remember that? Remember after the boat settled and Noah, the Bible said he planted a vineyard. And one day he got drunk off the fruit of the vine. So Noah didn't do everything right. But notice one of his sons, what was his son's name? Aha, he had three, Ham, Japheth, remember those two guys? And Shem, and Ham, the son of Noah, saw Noah in a drunken stupor, naked in the tent. And he thought that was something funny, but that's an, that's an issue towards homosexuality and sexual immorality. That's the principle that's involved, but that's for another day. He tried to encourage his brothers to come in and see his father's nakedness, but instead of them jeering along with Ham, they covered his father's naked. When, when Noah awake, awoke from his drunkenness, 
Notice what he did. He cursed. He did not curse his son. Therefore, it was not so much as saying you so-and-so, so-and-so. It was a prophetic utterance, a prophetic He said, cursed be Canaan. Who is Canaan? Canaan was the son of Ham, who would be the father of the Canaanites, who would be the people in the land of Canaan, Gergeshites, Hittites, Habites, Hep, all of those ites that you see when Israel gets ready to come into the land. They descended from Canaan and became the Canaanites. And what were they known for? Their sexual immorality. But let me put the picture all together because you want to you blame God for something. And so God is getting ready to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 18. Because all of the wickedness that he has seen down there. And we know what that wickedness was. It was homosexuality. And when God got ready to go down there, notice he made a pit stop to Abraham's house first. For two reasons. And I don't have time to go through it didactically. But he was two reasons. Number one, to reaffirm the promise of a seed. You're going to have a son. And number two, I want to get his attention. I'm getting ready to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham, I want you to see what I'm about to do and pass it on to your children. Pass what on? I don't play that. I don't play that. Raise your children in a respectable manner and let this be a demonstration that this is what I, a holy God, think about that activity. And you know what happened when God, God came to Abraham's house. Abraham tried to bargain with him to save the righteous. But it wasn't no righteous to be saved just for a few folk, Lot and his family. And they were not saved except for by the skin of their teeth. He lost his own wife, that is Lot, because she had a desire in her heart to remain in Sodom, even though the angels, and notice when the angels got there to take them out, had to literally drag them out. The angels said, let's leave now. They ended up spending the night. Then they were ambushed by the men of the city with homosexual desires. And God is wrong for them. But, but that's neither here nor there. And just work yourself. Now watch. So I'm going to take you now to Genesis chapter 15. When God affirms that promise that he made once again, once again, to Abraham. He says, okay, come on out, Abraham, look at all these stars, and we know what happened, blah, 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 and 2G tweet. As God walked through those animal parts, that's was the way they made the covenant. It was a blood covenant. And the whole point of that is when Abraham split those animals into two, had to shed blood of the animals, and the animals had to die. And God alone, that's why it's called an unconditional covenant. Abraham did not walk through the pieces. Only God walked through the pieces. And God was simply saying, if I do not keep the promise that I am making to you, let me die. And we all know one thing, what? It is impossible for God to die. It is impossible for God to tell a lie. So God was making what we call an unconditional promise to Abraham. And what was it all about? He said that I will give what I'm going to give. I'm going to give to you and your seed this land. He said, however, however, for four generations, or we understand that to be what? 400 years, they will not come into this land. And here is the beauty of that statement. He says, I am not going to allow because he knew when he got into that land, there will be massive destruction, massive judgment of the Canaanites, Hittites, massive judgment. Listen, think about what I just told you. Upon the descendants of 
Canaan, of Ham, because the whole, the whole cursed be Canaan thing was nothing more than a prophetic utterance that your children, just like you see what, as Ham walked in there to uncover the nakedness of his father, you would see that same sexual immorality and debasedness among all of his people, those who would come. That's why it's a prophetic utterance. It ain't got nothing to do with uh, Noah cursing black folk. Wrong, wrong, wrong. It's a prophetic utterance of what the generations that come from Canaan would be like. Sexual perverse. That's why, let me tell you something. Go to Leviticus 18. Go to Leviticus chapter 20. And you see God saying what? He said, let me tell y'all something. When y'all come into this land, you said, let me tell you what's going on. You got uh, uh, children having sexual inter intercourse with their parents and parents having sexual intercourse with their children, men sleeping with other men like they women and women sleeping with other women like their men. That's what, that's what Ham did, the sexual immorality that I'm telling you about. And Leviticus 18 and 20, God said this, and if you do these sins, just like the land regurgitated them, or in other words, just like I threw the Canaanites out of here, I will throw you out of here too. And that was the same message that God was trying to give to Abraham. Abraham, look at what I'm doing in Sodom and Gomorrah. Don't do that. Don't do that. For if your children do that, they will fall under the same judgment that these people are following. I, the Lord God, change now. But let's go to the point. My issue for this whole video was all about patience, wasn't it? Notice what God said to Abraham. I will not. I'm going to leave your seed in Egyptian slavery and captivity for 400 years. So now we got even more hundreds of years. And God says, why? For the sins of the Amorites. Oh, 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 the Amorites are descendants of Canaan, son of Ham. The sins of the Amorites are not yet full. So what is God saying? He says, well, They've been cutting up for a long time, but you know what? It's just like a cup, the cup of God's patience. It gets a little bit, but a little bit, but a little bit, but a little bit. And that's why Peter said, don't think that God doesn't keep his promises. God is not slack concerning his promises like men count slackness. But what? God is patient not willing for nobody to suffer judgment or destruction. He wants everybody to have opportunity to be saved. And that's what he's doing here when he tells Abraham to look in that starry sky at night and says, but nevertheless, even though I'm going to give, I'm going to bring your children out with a mighty hand and they will destroy the Canaanites. Why? Leviticus 18, Leviticus 20, for their immorality. And why? Because I'm the Lord God. I judge when I say it's judged. I create who I say I create and therefore I say what happens and when it happens. But but nevertheless, God was so patient. God was so kind. So you see, if anybody ever tell you that somehow the God of the Old Testament was hard and rude and mean and tough, and, and you have not read the whole book. God never judged quickly. He was always patient. He was always kind. And he always gave men a chance to be saved. The fault was not in God. 
The fault has always been in us. And did you know that?